Hey guys, you're listening to In Traffic with Neil Rubenstein. I am Neil Rubenstein. And today I'll be sitting in traffic talking to Jake Fertig, independent filmmaker of the movie Howard's and a contributor to Mashable.com. Hey. Hey. What up, Jake? What's going on? So I'm I'm happy to be your your company through this traffic. I'm like um the guy in the River Sticks who who accompanies you while you're uh, in tra- in traffic. Well, uh, wouldn't that imply that I'm like on my way to hell? Well, I don't know where you're going, and where are you going, Ashley? I am going to do some shows in Manhattan, some uh, stand-up comedy well, performances. You're going to Manhattan, so yeah, yeah. You know. No, fair enough. Yep, you're right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, take it in whichever way. But yeah, 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 so I'm here. I'm here, and I'm here to accompany you and make your ride a little less, um, a little less boring. Are, are you like in your apartment right now? Like you? I am. Somewhere? I am. Nice. I'm in. I'm in my apartment. I'm relaxing. You, I guess, you'll uh, be entertaining me too. Well. Uh, well, then you're doomed. I'm, uh, I rely on the, uh, entertainment value of others to, uh, provide, uh, I don't know what I'm saying here. Uh, can we talk, all right, I want to talk about your movie, first of all. Um, sure. Kind of, I'm glad you didn't, uh, get, like, the Indiegogo thing, like, you didn't get all you were asking for. <laughs> yeah. Just as I feel like the use of today you know, puts a lot of corners. So I'm kind of mm. glad that you're like struggling and doing it on your own. But uh, can, you talk about, <laughs> can you talk about uh, talk about the movie, man? Like uh, I know you're you're from Jersey, and it's about uh, I guess just like, being a Jew from Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say I also love my own misfortune, and I'm um, I'm generally always happy when things don't go things don't go well. I'm I'm joking, but I'm I am. It actually, you're right. It has been a good experience. It's like that was not going to keep us from being able to make the make the movie the way that we want, um, or just you know, it 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 only makes us work harder and learn more. And I agree that we're just like automatically entitled to be able to make this movie. But you are entitled to be able to pursue what you want to do. And for me, that is right now this movie that I'm working on, and it's basically about reflective of my experience growing up as a Jewish kid from New Jersey and I think uh I think with a little bit of time and reflection I think I think a little bit differently about my behavior and my experiences in late high school than than I did at the time um I think I had this had this uh which is something that I still have now but this desire to want to I guess be the best version of myself or do things that I was really passionate about, like this movie. And I think I had a set, like, I think I dissociated a lot from the people that I was around and that I grew up with. And for me, that meant like my Jewish community, uh, where I was from. And, uh, and I think that some of that was like motivated by real stuff for good reason. I think that it was something that I, I saw and that I felt that's a part of this movie. This kind of this feeling of, um, I don't know if you had this because I believe you're Jewish just by your last name. Um, but this, this yeah. thing that like Jewish community is very tight knit in a certain way. It's not 
I wouldn't say it's not overly exclusive, but definitely, you know, Jewish people, at least where I'm from, really banded together in in New Jersey. And I guess I felt um, when I was a teenager, like, resistant, uh, resistant to being to exclusively identifying as Jewish. And especially because I felt that, you know, you'd think a, a group that really unites over a sense of collective persecution in some ways would be more sensitive to other marginalized groups. And I felt like a lot of the people I knew where I was from weren't extremely sensitive to people who were um, of different races or ethnic backgrounds. Or a lot of times there's a lot of, I feel like, misogynistic behavior. Um, not that that's uncommon for any teenager or kid. But the movie's really oh. about, um, yeah, I guess it's no, about I, being exposed to that. And and also the um, the feeling that I had of like, oh, I, I feel like I'm much different than these people, but maybe investigating as I look back, maybe not being as different as I may have thought or, or seemed. I think that all cultures, uh, when they're like, uh, not, uh, not that we're like caged together, but old, like if you're from a Jewish community or Jewish neighborhood, or if you're from like a black neighborhood or a poor neighborhood or an Italian neighborhood or, a, a, you know, a very rich neighborhood, let's, your community, I feel like, bands together that same way, like this mm-hmm. like gossipy kind of coffee clutch. Yeah. So like yeah, I know I... what you're saying because I'm also from a Jewish neighborhood, or predominantly Jewish neighborhood at the time, and and I, I didn't like I don't identify like I'm not religious at all. Like mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. uh, and I get I, I uh, all right, but also. Uh, there's so much, I think, I think being a Jew is weird in the scope of the, like, the minorities, because yeah, I feel like right. we're, we, we're the one that, like, it's still okay The minority make, of privilege. Yeah, but it's still okay, well, there's that, certainly, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't identify as a minority for sure. I'm yeah. a white male in a yeah, middle same. class. Like I, I'm acing it. Like I'm, I'm flying through. Absolutely. But it's still okay to make jujos. It's still okay to be right. outwardly anti-Semitic everywhere. Yeah, and I think that's that's the whole thing. And I think that's kind of like what because I also I'm a, a white male of privilege. I have every privilege that there is, and. I feel like um, the the Jewish aspect of it. Well, first of all, what you're saying, I think it's true of all marginalized groups. I totally agree. I think it's it, there's like a scientific term for the way that when you're uh, when you spend like people are oriented to spend more time with people who are just innately like them, and then the more that you do that, the more extreme your behavior co- becomes in terms of um, blocking out people with different, you know, like I even just noticed how much my life has changed, like living in New York City and my perception of other people has changed. Like since going to college, really basic stuff of just being exposed to more different types of people. And I feel like even now I'm pretty, um, pretty restricted from really knowing what other people are like from walks of life. But I think it's something that's true of all marginalized groups, which is also why it's a story that I'm passionate to tell, because if it was a movie that could only be meaningful to where I perceive could only be meaningful to white Jewish kids from New York or New Jersey. I'm not sure that that would be that, you know, that would have value, but I hope that this can be something that there's an entry point for anyone who identifies with whatever marginalized group 
they identify with, and everybody has something that makes them unique or specific. But I feel well, like I think it can. It th- I think it can transcend the way that like dope transcended. You know, like yeah, exactly. Dope is a movie for one particular subculture, but because they speak about things that were in the pop culture consciousness of of everyone at that time. Uh, we can all kind of relate to it exactly uh, in some way or another. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly it. And I think with being Jewish, the feeling is that what we were talking about. It's a feeling of kind of like internalized otherness. It's not like I don't have privilege or I don't have um, opportunity from like a career perspective. I think it's more when I felt like growing up in the neighborhood I was from because I, I, I was born in Queens and then when I was eight years old, my family moved to New Jersey, and I think I felt this strong uh, attraction to status and a desire to prove myself. And for me in that environment, I think a lot of that related to negating my own Judaism. And and it's not that I feel religiously Jewish. I feel the same way. I feel my own strong and, and kind of vague sense of personal spirituality. But I feel more socially Jewish or it's like an ethnicity yeah. thing. So, yeah, and yeah. I'm proud to have that ethnicity. And, but, yeah, but at the same time, like, I, I would never way. walk around with a yarmulke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. Like, I'm not religious at all. Like, your God, my God, they're both stupid. It doesn't matter. But the the um, the culture of it, like, the persecution that we went through, I'm not going to ignore that so I can put up a Christmas tree that's bullshit to me. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. Just, but. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And it wasn't until – what was very interesting to me was, like, so I went on birthright last year, and I'd never done that because mainly because I really perceived it to be very overly Zionist, which is not something that which is something that I felt you know very confused and conflicted about, and honestly disheartened uh, that Zionism was like such a strong aspect of like practicing Judaism. But I think that that's common that like socialized religion in general starts to nurture special interests rather than just like the individual spirituality of its uh, of its congregation. So. I went on birthright finally, and although I did feel, you know, kind of ostracized in that way, I there were these feelings of like, wow, so this is what it feels like to be in a place where I don't feel weird to wear a yarmulke. It's not like I ever wanted to wear a yarmulke before, but it made me a little bit more conscious of, oh, this is what like the unconscious feeling of otherness is like when like everybody in American culture, even though it's a melting pot, everybody to some degree is assimilating, and and and. And in this kind of like unconscious way, rejecting a part of their heritage or rejecting a part of themselves, that kind of comes out in these other desires to um, to dominate. I think, and I think that so for me and what the movie is about is like it's through a character that's based on me that I play, who perceives himself to have like an air of difference or righteousness over like the Jewish kids who he grew up with, who he kind of looks down upon in terms of the way that they constantly smoking, drinking, delivering all these barbs to, like, women and minorities around them. And it kind of examines the way that his, his the, the arm, like, the way that he addresses them at arm's length. As that's, as he he starts to engage with them more, it heightens a little bit how that self-righteousness is a little bit, it's kind of based on bullshit, and that it almost facilitates him to act like his own version of kind of a, a limiting asshole because he's, you know, or I was someone who in high school, I think I was preoccupied with proving that I wasn't who I was. So uh, that's kind of what the movie's about. That sounds awesome, A. And B, 
I feel like I think it's funny to talk because it's it's a comedy, right? Like mostly. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I think of it. It's just a, you know. I find my favorite the show that made me laugh the most was The Sopranos. So I think like there are definitely a lot of moves in the movie that nod towards comedy, but our tone we're trying to go for is like a very low budget DIY version of like uh, you know super bad meets The Sopranos. Oh, okay. Because all the other stuff I've seen of you is is all comedy based. Right. So it's funny to like you know talk about this movie that I originally perceived as more of a comedy in such a you know, serious, uh, yeah, it's like a serious matter. But at well, the root of everything, it's true. Like, yeah. uh, you know, when you, when I write jokes, like when I sit down to write, the first thing is like, well, what am I afraid of? Or, what, you yeah. know, the first thing that you said to me on the phone was something was something that I think was just innately provocative and cut to the core. It was a more meaningful question than like, let's just let's just openly talk or plug or promote or um, just describe exactly what you're trying to do, what you're trying to make, like you immediately got to the core of what the production experience has been like. Because, like, that's obviously something that that's a very real thing for us. Like, the financial aspect of making this, like, that's not only is that, that's not, that's something that cuts really personally because it's not just something that I do outwardly. Like, that's personal loans. That's how, like, that's how, because we didn't make that money, that's how the film is getting financed now, at least partially. We just got a grant, too, which is very exciting but it's only going to be able to fund part of it. But it really does. It is, like, you are completely putting yourself on the line. And I think that that's kind of, I don't know, it just kind of relates to what you're talking about, where it's, like, better to cut to the heart of something. Um, and any really comedy is just kind of a way of, um, it's almost like a way of cashing out on that kind of emotion. It's, like, one way that you can exploit a real emotion to elicit a real response. Do you think I'm hiding behind comedy then? Like, I... You know? No, no, it's I didn't like, mean to imply that, but I hide, yeah. <laughs> hide comedy a lot. Um, you, can, you can tell as we're talking, like, I'm, I have always, I feel a lot of times that I use comedy as the defense mechanism to engage with people who I don't perceive are interested enough to go with me on, like, my, like, real expression. But because we're in this conversation right now, I perceive that you're genuinely interested, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Sorry, that's the laundry. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to like just speak genuinely because I, in almost every case, you know, so much of what I've worked on in the past has been trying to use the things that I think about and the, those ideas that I approach for comedy because I feel that it will, that's something I can connect with people on. And I think comedy is amazing. I would, I, I would never not want to do that. I think it's more that I, it's more of like a frame device that's representative of where I'm coming from of being someone who's very used to, trying to be a clown, honestly, that, uh, that it kind of made like develop this hunger within me to just like, um, try to be more fearless about my full expression because if not, I won't develop it and use comedy as a portion of that. Do you, but I don't know. Do what do you, you think do, about yourself? Do you use, do you use comedy to, to protect yourself? Oh yeah. A hundred percent, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I, I mean, even when you're not performing it or writing it, like, when when I'm in an awkward situation, I try to make a joke to, like, alleviate the stress of the situation. Or, you know, if something's like, when my, when my parents passed away, like, I immediately turn to, like, making shitty jokes about them dying just to, like, not have to think about the fact that my parents are dead. You know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah, but there is also something yeah. beautiful in that as well. It's hard. It's hard. It really depends on the way that you approach it because there is there's such like tremendous life changing value to be able to, um, you know, have even even when you have like an acute understanding of what's going on with your feelings or what's going on with life to be able to make light of it. So I guess it works both ways, but I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, I feel like I need to like. Now I need to like talk to a psychiatrist about psychologists. <laughs> well, <laughs> well I like, whether I should continue my uh, pursuit of this. <laughs> no, really, I, just, I just need a couch. <laughs> I think I'm coming on a little bit strong. I like I go to <laughs> I go to therapy like weekly, and I I first started going to therapy at the end of high school, and I think I just naturally have become trained by that influence to think in a certain way that isn't necessarily true of all situations or true of all people. But I do like the effect that it produces for, you know, for myself or for my own approach to, you know, meeting people and stuff. I tried, I tried therapy a couple of times. I was like forced to go in high school. Like I, I was like, you know, troubled youth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was forced to go and that didn't work. That ended, that ended really poorly. Um, and then like, I, I, like, you know, some bouts of depression in the middle there, and mm-hmm. I went a couple of times trying to get help, and, like, I found, like, I couldn't really get the help I wanted. Like, one therapist, like, talked the whole time, which mm. I thought was fucking weird, man. I was it like, is. like, he was trying to relate to me, but he was he was trying so hard. Like, like honestly, he just came like, off as like extremely insecure, which is the last thing that you want yeah. to feel in someone that you're trying to open up to, and like that's just preventing them from being able to listen. Yeah, and it's a waste of my time and money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the that's the other thing is like you when you realize like oh I'm paying money for this service. Once you feel like you're not receiving a service, it becomes real awkward real quick. Yeah, like I think at that time, my health insurance covered like 25 visits a year. Mm. So it was like, oh well, I, I only ha- I'm very I have to be better in six months. Or <laughs> yeah, that sucks. Yeah, that is a really um, difficult. It's too bad too because it's totally connected to the mental health stigma. I'm right now like I go to therapy. I'm right now. I need to provide a medical necessity form to be able to. We have like you know certain c- coverage plans and that that obviously I'm really lucky. I have like a good coverage plan through work, but you need to, for like the reimbursement plan, or at least like partial reimbursement, you need to show like medical necessity. Um, and I think that that's, I think it's, it's like a cultural insurance policy. And I think it has to do with just like at every level, the mental health stigma is so pervasive. And even though it's like a cliche to constantly talk about it, it's everywhere. It's like totally built into our institutions, And it's pretty tragic because you see all the, well, I, it's, everybody has so many stories about therapy. I remember like I first, the first time I went, I felt like the only, my, my parents also suggested me to go. I was like acting up when I was, I think in middle school or something. And all I wanted to do that first session was get the doctor to say, you don't need therapy. And that's what happened at the end of it. And I felt like I had achieved my goal. And it wasn't until like at the end of high school when I was, I have, I'm like very tall and I have issues with fainting. Um, and sometimes when I faint, I have what appears to be a pseudo seizure because I have low blood pressure and a condition called vasovagal syncope, and this actually just happened to me again a month ago. It's happened every few years, pretty much my whole life. One time that it happened, I kind of realized that therapy would be something that would help tone down my general anxiety and help me deal with, like, some of the triggers. So it was like therapy you always get in 
whatever you, you get out of it for the most part what you put in depending on the person that you're speaking with and right. and, and so like then I, I've had a few therapists and there some have definitely been better than, than others and the one that I see right now I find to be very helpful like we really connect but I definitely feel like I don't know I just think it's it's too bad that this isn't like anyone thinks like your brain your emotional responses just like any other any other organ you know i have so many friends who struggle with depression i deal with my own forms of depression and anxiety and it's just too bad that this isn't something that's like culturally accepted just you know worldwide i've you know friends that have killed themselves and uh, there's so many tragic stories i know of people who just we're all battling a lack of awareness of like our subconscious desires. So I wish it was something yeah, the, that like everybody could use therapy. Yeah. The, the healthcare, the mental health care in America is really the worst. The pit. Like, I feel like if you're not a drug addict or someone institutionalizes you, you can't get help. Like, Oh, of course it, it, it's not affordable. It's not correct. Like, I see people, I see parents put their kids in, like, you know, there's a thing out here called parents in need of supervision or something like that, where it's, like, parents will just put their kids in this program, this PINS program, like, uh, you know, because uh, he's behaving poorly or, he, you know, it's like, no, man, like, can you talk they, to the kids for a minute before yeah, you Yeah, they need help. They need people to listen <laughs> like, to it's yeah, true. like we should just go like lock them up with a bunch of other shitty kids. Like, oh my god, yes, with, with all yeah. different with all different problems and all different reasons. It's like, yeah. like this, this one blanket's going to cover it all. And we only, uh, sorry to keep rambling, we only talk about it when there's like a mass murder. And then yeah, we're like, exactly. oh, mental health's a problem. Well, no, dude, yeah, mental health's a fucking problem. Can we? Can we talk about that for a minute? Like, I totally agree. And it's an issue of, I think it's like on one hand, there's like resource allocation is maybe a part of it. Like it's hard to think like, oh, who are, who's going to do all this work? Who's going to pay for all this mental health labor? But it also could open up, I think, a lot of work. If I don't know. It's an industry unto itself. But the, then there's, I think the real issue is just this kind of like cultural masculine pride, which is so ass backwards that people think it's you prove something that you are strong by not having, you know, mental, any, any mental or emotional issues. And everybody does it. I know it cause I do it and I think I'm pretty damn open and I struggle with myself. Like everybody qualifies their conditions. You're terrified that someone can think you're crazy, insane. It might limit your opportunities. It's like everybody censors themselves. And that's the only scary thing because that's when people actually have problems. Like, Everybody has the issues. You just got to talk them through. Yeah, I don't hide them at all, man. Like, I'll openly tell people, like, my my inside my head is just like a bunch of, like, broken cogs and loose coils. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a mess. I know it. <laughs> like, I'm doing, my, I'm doing my best to, like, fake it and get through and, like. Well, that's you know, the first step. You know, at 40, like, I'm finally, like, kind of getting it together, like, I've had a job for a while now, and, like, my, you know, my credit score is good again, finally, yeah. and, like, but that stuff, I mean, um, it's, it's duct tape, and, you know, like, I think, I, I feel the same way, and even though I'm in a different stage of life, I think that a lot of people can, can relate to that, to that feeling of just, like, 
how the fuck is this holding up and staying together? But, yeah, that's what it's like. Yeah. Uh, my boss, when I first started working for my boss, I said something to him in passing, uh, you know, about, you know, everything going really well for him or the, the venue and the whatever. And he said, yeah, man, just don't look under the hood. Like, in passing and walk away. <laughs> and I was like, what the I was hell? like, yeah, man, like, it just stuck with me. Like, yeah, man, just don't look under the hood. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a mess in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know we're like, uh, for, happy birthday, first of all. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my birthday's this week. That means a lot. Thanks. <laughs> uh, when I this airs, I you, think it'll be last week. Oh, okay, or, okay, okay. Or maybe so two when weeks. It, when I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, I, thank you. I'm, I'm, I have I'm a couple of other things. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's it. That's it. I just, whenever, when I, I thank you for. I feel so flattered by, by <laughs> the, the research. I'm like, you know, my birthday. <laughs> Nobody knows my birthday. I also have a Pisces. Ah, when's your birthday? March second. Okay, and so yours will be right around the time that this uh, yeah. goes out, probably. But I don't. I, yeah, I don't. I think this might actually not get up for a couple of weeks. I have a couple of things slated. I have some like business stuff that we're mm. doing, like some back end kind of stuff. Okay. And this is this has to come out after that. I have these other. I, Whatever, it's not important to anybody. Uh, but to you, it's important. I'll let you know when this actually gets up. Well, please, it's all good. So we both have birthdays. Right. We're both Pisces. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I'm not really into, like, Zodiac at all. But mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I run into people that are like, uh, I feel like we would be creatively uh, akin to one another. And mm -hmm, then I mm -hmm. always find out that they're, I always find out that they're, born right around uh but years later so i don't know if it makes a difference i don't know i don't i don't know <laughs> I, I i know what you mean where it's like i'm not I, I don't uh i don't believe in the zodiac unless it's like it's convenient or it somehow you know strikes me that's how i feel like the past two months like i would i would always like talk shit about astrology but then my mom sends me a horoscope to this one and i will read it like tooth and nail just saying i'm like oh that'll yes that will happen to me that will happen and i actually feel that it's changed my outlook the past two months in general because i've had very good horoscopes, especially related to like, you know, uh, work or you know, try career related stuff. And I've been uh, definitely like, yeah, I think it's affected my approach and the way I look at the world. But yeah, it's, I think there's something. There's got to be something there, or else me and my mom wouldn't both be crazy, even though uh, we're you know we're born a day apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you uh, did you talk to Drake at all about Judaism? Well, I wish I could have. I wish I had access to him. I actually, I was actually going to bring that up, like, a few minutes ago when we were talking about Judaism. It's like, you know, even though I wouldn't, like, wear a yarmulke out, out here, I still do have – I think there is some level where it's like, damn, Drake is Jewish, and that's probably a, a part of the reason why I like him as much as I do. I think I like him a lot because um, – I think it's, it's partially because of that. It's just like – not only is this like is there this novelty element, but I actually think that a lot of his music is really good and really accomplished. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I don't even need to qualify. I just like his music a lot. But he, I, I wish I got a chance to speak to him. I tried to track him down. I tried very hard to track him down, 
But in the in the video where the video about saving Drake's life for uh, for Matchable, there was no. Um, I didn't have the chance to. Uh, I never got to speak with him directly. I just had to create a gigantic construction um, around that concept without ever getting to engage him. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's uh, incredibly good. Do you, do you think he's seen it, or has he seen it, or has I every night before bed, I, I pray that he's seen it, but I I think it's unlikely, honestly. I think it's hard. I, I tried reaching out to people close with him, that I perceived close to him on Twitter and on you know I tried to send out emails, but I felt a little bit helpless because he's so popular and he's so flooded with engagement. Maybe he has seen it and he just decided that's just another crazy fan and I don't care or. Maybe I I feel like he hasn't, but I that's only that only comes from my sixth sense that connects me to all of Drake's emotions and nothing else. Um. <laughs> I feel like uh, I don't know, like because it's so funny and so interestingly done. Thank you. I feel like you know if if someone got into like his managers or his agent or you know the intern in that office, you know. Cause it like it gets past the rat. Like I, I saw it's like a hundred thousand views or something already. Yeah, well, I also felt like um, I felt like that would be extremely cool, and I also have that same psychology where it's like, and I think that's behind the creation of pieces like that. This feeling of wow, this feels so heightened and surreal. I like um, the term I use for it is like a grand idiot theory, where it's like if the the scale, for like directorially, if the scale of the video feels extremely heightened, but the performance is um, beyond idiotic, that there, it creates this kind of like effect of like, what the hell am I watching? How does it feel like large scale, but also so silly? And yeah. the hope was that like, if it can create that effect, that and the, the headline is that the headline would be hopefully gripping enough that like people would just have to really just get it to Drake, but. At least in the past week, I've found that I, that though I feel like it, that did have a positive effect on the quality of the work itself. In terms of the response, there's some level of that that's that there's only a small portion of that that I feel is within my control, or maybe it's just something I'm learning about. But I wish I wish it was I wish it were that way. I definitely thought the video was like a calculated risk that that might happen. But at least in the past week, the main thing that I can just you know hang my hat on is just the way I feel about the video rather than um, whether or not Drake, Drake has seen it or the feeling that if it has any kind of exposure, it would have like this organic virality that would get it, uh, get it to the, its intended audience. That's something that I guess I've, I've lost a little yeah. bit of faith in, or maybe it's just a reflection of my work, but I, I feel proud, proud <laughs> about the work. So, you know, who knows? Would you be okay if, you could ne- you would never meet him or speak to him. She would never say anything. You would never mention it. But there was a lyric in a Drake song where he referenced his bodyguard Jake or his you know someone saved his life. Jake saved my life. If he referenced that in a song, but you would never be able to speak to him about it or meet him or anything, would you be cool with that? To be honest, I had never even conceived of that possibility, and I'm a little bit frustrated that you just introduced that to me because that sounds like the best experience ever, um, and I feel like that'll never happen. But I would totally be satisfied with that. I, I would be satisfied with my expectation that I will never, literally, never engage with human being in my life. And honestly, that's that's fine too. Although I'd love to meet Drake, um, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be uh, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Especially, I, I, I feel about, like you know. I could totally hear him like dropping a line like that, like like I'm gonna save your life, like Jake saved mine or something, you know, just like yeah. I could hear that. I think his lyric would be probably more like, I feel like something like that would be channeled into some kind of like braggadocio about how far he's come in his career. Like I got, I got, you know, I got Jewish kids in in Jersey (laughs) flying to Toronto (laughs) to stalk me. (laughs) I think that's what I feel like the lyric might be closer to, but. um, I like that first one. I definitely like that first one. <laughs> are you a are you a big hip hop fan in general or or is um, it limited to I think I no, I am I am a big I think I I think I'm a big hip hop fan, but I have to take that with a grain of salt. It's like I'm a white Jewish kid from Jersey, which makes me just like everybody else. Um and also like inherently less qualified to really um know hip hop as anything other than kinda like a version of pop music that has its own appeal to me. But, yeah, I love Drake. Um, I love a lot of rap music, and I love a lot, you know, I, I love a lot of, like, the big-ticket pop rap, because I feel like those guys, what's exciting about them is that they're hugely popular and hugely, um, just, like, to a degree that I think is unmatched with a lot of other pop stars. I think they're pretty avant-garde. Like, guys like Drake and Kanye, for me... You know, despite all the obvious reservations uh, in terms of, like, personal politics, especially with, like, all the stuff that Kanye said that's extremely misogynistic lately, what I find, what I admire about their music is it's this, like, frontier of music that they're making music that's, like, hugely popular, but they'll have, you know, these are huge albums that have, like, Drake, you know, on Nothing Was the Same, which was his most recent album, besides this, like, one that came out last year, which is more of a mixtape. I don't know if you're a huge fan or not, but he had, like, you know, his first song was, like, a six-and-a-half-minute-long you know, it was a rap song, but it's basically, it was not like a pop rap song. And this is like a major pop album. I feel like a lot of their choices, and Kanye's choices on this album, like, they're daring. They're genuinely bold and daring in a way that not a lot of music that's like, that crosses over to that degree. It really feels like one of the final frontiers of, like, few frontiers right now in music where it's like, what feels now and what feels um, important and what feels popular are synthesized together in artists like these. But there's so many artists that are either popular but kind of compromising or they're artists that I really like but they're not very popular. I don't know. There's something about that that I admire. I, you know, you said, like, Kanye is daring. And, like, I feel like Kendrick is daring. But, like, that new Kanye stuff all sucks. Wow. Well, we have some disagreements. I I really like a few of the songs on this album. I think it is a little bit more self-aggrandizing, like like as a matter matter of convenience. Like he's so used to putting out a new album that's groundbreaking that he just automatically thinks it's groundbreaking. Where this one is more of just kind of like a messy mishmash of things that he's already done. Yeah. So I will agree with you. But there's still like there are moments on that album like Ultralight Beam or um, Fuck My Life or uh, Bits I'm and Parts of Famous. That I think are amazing. I've only heard a few of the tracks. The the two in particular that are the two that he performed on Saturday Night Live two weeks ago. Yeah. Where they those are garbage songs. Like there's nothing. Well, the first one, the, I I have to agree that like I even skip over that first song highlights. I think it's kind of a retread of what he was doing on graduation, but in a much worse kind of like slopped together fashion. I think that is kind of weak. And it's weak for a young thug song, too, in my opinion. But the second song that he performed, I disagree, I think, is, like, phenomenal. That song, Ultra Light Beam, 
I mean, it's mostly because of Chance the Rapper's performance on it, but I think that song's amazing. I think it's really subtle and understated. I think it honestly feels like a new sound to me, and not just the fact that he, like, whips up gospel into it, but particularly the way that he creates this, like, wavy, synthetic chord progression that holds the whole thing down. I don't know. It's just really confident and understated, and I thought that the message was powerful, and I loved, like, the set design and everything about his performance at SNL. I mean, he's kind of... his. Everything around his music and the way he presents himself seems like gloriously whacked out and sometimes not gloriously whacked out. Someone is just straight up whacked out. But there are still those moments for me in his music. I mean, it definitely feels like a definite change. Like, Jesus, I thought was awesome. And My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is one of my favorite records of all time. But this was a this was definitely a, a, a downturn for his music, in my opinion. Uh, I, will, I will keep... Uh... I'll keep my opinion about that to myself because I clearly am not as educated about his latest works as you are <laughs> after hearing your... No, well, I just know it's been in my ears for the past few weeks. So I just have like a natural desire to want to listen to more of his music. I'm one of those people who's usually like trying to find a way to defend, even though there's no defending the way that he's behaved or like the things that he said in, in a bunch of ways. Except for trying to like find, I guess, like a cultural context that you might understand why he thinks that this behavior is acceptable or idealized, even if he is having some kind of like extended manic episode. But, you know, I, I admire his fearlessness as an artist more than anything. All right. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I just like tripped you up with like my I, sincerity of Kanye fandom. Yeah, I applaud your uh, scholarliness in which you approach your infatuation with him, but personally, uh, yeah, he's you know. writing. You know, I'm not, every, <laughs> most people in my personal life also feel that way. I see this guy. People used to say he could just produce, and then he became a rapper, and not just a rapper, but someone who, like with every album, changed the sound of rap. And most people in pop music are indebted to his sound in one way or another. Like nearly everybody who's popular now is. And then beyond that, he's just someone who. Even though it's partially motivated by this like crazy megalomaniac behavior, he's like he still is pushing himself beyond his own perceived boundaries and external perceived boundaries to create things that are just bigger and better than he might have ever thought possible, and certainly than anybody else ever thought possible. Like I don't think anyone who was hearing his first album would have ever thought that he could have made something like the one that everyone loves, that beautiful dark twisted fantasy album from like. Yeah, five or six years, five or six years ago, and it comes from like breaking down your personal barriers. That's what I admire more than anything. So I'm an uh, apologist right. a bit. Yeah, you're definitely a Kanye apologist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an objectionable next generation of like you know young boy hip hop fan who got into it from indie rock. Well, I mentioned, I mentioned to someone once, like backstage somewhere. Uh, they were like, yo, thanks for putting this together or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I'm just like a white guy from Long Island. Like, what do I know about hip-hop? And yeah. they were like, they were mad at that statement. Like you said earlier, like, oh, I'm just a white dude from the South, oh, whatever. Like, racializing hip-hop? Yeah, and they were like, dude, hip-hop's for all of us. Like, that's, yeah. like, we're all hip-hop. And then he said, I appreciate you, fam. And I felt really good about myself. I was like, all right, <laughs> cool, man. Yeah. Uh, well, but yeah, so like, I, yeah, I try not to do that. 
do that anymore. Like uh, yeah, like to like qualify how passionate you are as if you need to somehow like create some racial barrier just to like yeah protect like yourself you, or show respect, but it really just shows disrespect or enhances yeah, the racial divide. Yeah, you can see by looking at me, you know where I come from. Like you don't, right. I don't need to, I don't need to justify. Like, do you like hip hop? Yeah, I love hip hop. I guess I feel like, like I don't want to, I don't want to be like, oh no, Kanye's the best or Drake's the best. Like, I guess my opinion, oh, my opinion is automatically my opinion, so I don't need to act like it's. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, your opinion on your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm no. I, I just want to be like I'm no authority, but it's like I don't need to be the authority claiming that I'm not an authority. Anybody already knows that. Yeah, yeah, like I'll I'll be the judge of it. Like it's like saying some, it's like saying to someone like, oh, this is really interesting, or oh, you know, it's really cool. Like, well, why don't you just tell me and I'll tell you if it's interesting or cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. You, obviously, you think it's interesting, or you wouldn't have wasted my time to tell me about. It. <laughs> yeah. So you gotta waste yeah, another three sentences, but tell me how interesting what you're about to tell me is, <laughs> which is the shittiest thing I could say <laughs> to somebody. <laughs> Um, I'm dead stop. I am going zero miles an hour. <laughs> but I am uh, I am on the bridge, so we should be. I'm actually we're we're pretty good as far as commutes go. This is I mean this is not as bad as I've uh, I've seen. Okay, okay. You are still in traffic though, so we can continue. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Another, like, five minutes. I think I'll be sure. uh, at my destination. Uh, maybe, maybe less. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, man. This is, uh, I love doing this podcast because, uh, I feel like this is a turning point in the podcast, actually, because you're one of the first, pe- there's, there's one or two before that I didn't, wasn't, like, good friends with, but mm-hmm. you're the first person where it's, like, this is the first I'm getting to know you, really. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And I feel like an immediate comfort zone based on that I can tell that you're serious about, like, wanting to... Like, first of all, I, I feel flattered to be asked to be on it. And I feel... I can tell that you're passionate about what you're doing based on the questions that you're asking and the way you're conducting it. It makes me want to, you know, re- reveal layers of myself and, and ask you questions about yourself. It That is, like, there is something magical about, like, creating an environment where like through like collective public sharing, like you actually go deeper than you would in a, in a private conversation, even though it is a private conversation. Yeah. No, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for the, those uh, nice of you to say, but yeah, I feel, you know, cause it's a, it is, it's a conversation. I mean, the fact that I'm recording it and going to put it on the internet is, you know, uh, secondary to that. Like we're happy, you know, uh, yeah. I'm calling you from the car. Like, so we're just, uh, and uh, yeah, I didn't like, know that it would go the direction it would go either, because like you start talking about Judaism so much yeah. more seriously than I thought you were gonna. <laughs> and uh, like, um, you know, I'm actually kind of like surprised that like, like you went on birthright. Uh, I I want to talk more about that. Well, it would be fun to make aspect. a movie about that stuff and a serious one that was attempting to like add to. Because I feel like it's messed up if you're making a movie about any subjects that you don't care about. Like, that is exploitative or exploitive and manipulative, and especially if you're going to make a movie that's, like, critical. You know, like, everybody's a human being. And I am, like, ethnically Jewish, and I feel very strongly critical about a lot of elements of, like, my Jewish upbringing. But I think it's more valuable to be able to – and also just about people in general. I think it's more valuable to account for myself 
an account from my personal experiences and, and suggest and be emphatic with the things that I think are fucked up and the things that I think are wrong coming from a place of actually caring and actually engaging rather than trying to like write off or disengage as much as I honestly, I truly do. But I'm, I am proud of my parents. I'm proud of my cultural ethnicity. I don't think socialized religion is so cool, but I am a spiritual person and I think it makes me feel sad. It makes me feel truly sad, like in a painful way to feel like there are these divides between me and people who I grew up with and I care about them. And things that I personally struggle with are things that I think we all struggle with of like our own cultural expectation. And I think there's a lot of stuff that none of us, myself included, were very conscious of. And the only way to like cure it is to try to become more aware and communicate about it. And for this, I I get to, like, even though the movie itself is going to be flawed, I get to, like, print this, like, iconic rendition of my perception. It's my point of view applied to experiences that I had growing up, and it's just a part of a conversation, but that's, like, the unbelievable thrill. It's, like, I get to print my worldview and, and keep it collected in this document that anyone can be exposed to and be in conversation with. I wonder if if you made the same movie, like if you look back at the same time of your life in another 10 years and then again in another 20 years, how those experiences, how your perception mm. of those experiences would change. Because I feel Absolutely. like I, you know, I go through, uh, it ebbs and flows how I feel about my childhood, you yeah. know, based on where I'm at now you know like right now i can laugh about certain things and other things i want to just bury deep down but yeah those were it was different things a few years ago and like you're so uh, i don't i don't mean to sound shitty here but it's closer to you like yeah. your high school was you know six years ago eight years ago whereas my high school is 20 years ago you know so i, I wonder I wonder if in another 12 years or 10 years and then 10 years after that, if those things change shape and, 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 and move around. You know, I feel like this making this, I think like a lot of what would I immediately imagine is that 10 to 15 years from now, I might feel more of a, like a longing for youth or like a sense of, I think the experience, even by making this movie, it almost feels like I'm neutering my experiences like, I'm rendering them in this totally other way based on my current point of view, which is obviously partially motivated in defining myself against or in the context of who I used to be and defining these experiences as something that is can be, like, redemptive for all involved but fits into my current worldview. So I remember someone, like a teacher once told me that, uh, you know, your art, the main thing about your art, besides your, you know, craft is one thing, but the main thing is your point of view. Like that, it's the thing that's present everywhere in your art. And so no matter what you do, it's original. There are so many millions of, like, microscopic choices that I make that make this movie what it is. And when we interact with art, it feels a lot of times like you're interacting with one point of view or a person's point of view that's just intensely personal. You look excited about it. But I feel like in this thing, I'm, I'm revisiting these experiences that used to be filled with passion that I'm changing or delivering a certain meaning on with, like, additional reflection. And then by doing this movie, the experiences just become kind of, like, flattened. Like, they kind of don't matter anymore. Like, I, the, the experiences have been processed through this movie. And I almost feel like if I looked back on it years later, I would have more of a playful sensibility because I don't think I would feel like any of this stuff was as heavy as it feels 
first of all, it already feels that like way less heavy than it did when I was writing it, when I was starting it, because it felt more daring and more bold to approach those things. And now it's like, this has gone from being a little thought in the back of my mind to something that's like extremely socialized. Like there's a huge production element to it. There are a lot of people who work on this movie. And so now it feels more like just a, a practical reality. So it's like, it's, it feels, yeah, it's like, it's not, it used to be, it's been such a long process just making it that in the beginning it felt intensely personal. Now it just feels beyond public. Yeah, is it like a, is it like a desensitization to it? Because yes. like you read and reread and reread those words. So many and reworked and I feel like so much less of a, like I know what's important to maintain, but so much of it is like we're destroying and rewriting scenes and situations and dramatizing relationships from my childhood to be different than how they were to more clearly fit the overall emotional point of the movie, which is basically what we've discussed. So yeah, it's a total desensitization. I also feel so much less precious about the actual facts of the matter. Like it's, we're printing a legend for a specific to, to enhance a specific point of view and the use of like experiences that are autobiographical and truly personal is only to add an additional layer of drama based on how real they feel to to the movie itself. It's kind of like the way that, um, you know, I think all this, like, this true crime trend is such bullshit, like making a murderer and the jinx, how they use the impression of reality to create high dramatic stakes. Like, that shit is no faker or no more real to me than, like, an episode of The Sopranos, because they're warping a real story for dramatic purposes. They talk about real people as if they're a cast of characters. And yeah, yet, yeah, yeah, yeah we watch it and approach it in the same way. And there's just this, it, it's totally such a fad and a trend and it's going to fade away in a few years, like jackass or something, because when people watch them, the whole dramatic stakes are built on, and it's a real guy. And you see all the stuff outside of it, all the supplemental materials are people developing their own theories. It's, it's so weird. It's so, it's weird to have like real, it's like reality TV because people are being, these real crime stories are being commodified so that people can have commercial engagement with them. Like even people who are developing their theories about what really happened on making a murderer, it's, it's no different than buying a piece of Star Wars merchandise. It's some like way that this piece, you can have a deeper level of fandom about it. And it just kind of like turns real life into caricature. And that's, I think the thing that I've been like learning a lot over this movie that you can make any piece with any level of fake reality, whether you're saving Drake or whether you're doing a professional report, but you are automatically a character in a story the second that you step on screen. And the the character that you choose to be, even the choice to be authentic or give the per perception of authenticity is simply a choice. And so I now see like everything is like a character, characters and narratives whenever I see documentaries or things that give the impression of reality. And I feel like the, giving the impression of reality it, or warping a scene for comedy or warping a scene for drama is just an aesthetic choice that you can make to enhance a certain emotion and ultimately deliver a point of view or a message. I think that when, when we started playing in bands back in the day, we realized that by doing that, you, once you look behind the curtain, like you no longer see things as they were. Mm -hmm. And and I think what you like what you're saying now is like m making that more real to me. Like, or not making what you're saying now is making me remember that because e even just looking at story, like once I understood s how story works, mm -hmm. everything to me is now story. story. Like, what, you know, this, and this, and this, this conversation has its own narrative, like. 
their arcs and repetitions and developments, when we call back in something like about Judaism or Kanye West, we're, we're creating a narrative for the listener right now. And like, so even when I, when we first engaged on the phone, like even when we first engaged on the phone, I almost felt like the implication of the fact that you were doing half doing a bit when you talked to like, when you let off with talking about the Indiegogo campaign, I kind of wanted to play along. And then there was this kind of like conception of both of us finding our footing of where we're going to engage on. And even by me doing it right now, I'm like, at the ending, I'm bringing it back to the beginning, which is like the recipe for, you know, it's like it's, it's to create this sense of, because it's like the rules of, of drama, which is like the rule of drama is unity, unity of time and place and action and subject matter. When you return to the same idea, you see how much has changed in the meantime. And I feel like all of these things are a part of my craft, whether I'm doing it for work as a video producer or for work as a filmmaker, I feel like my goal and what I really want to do is use, continue to develop my craft to tell, to use it in a way that, you know, use my powers for good and tell it in a way that's meaningful. So that's why this Howard's movie, like, it feels less about this autobiographical story and more about the message that the story is trying to communicate. And so it's funny how autobiography becomes just another tool to me now, now that we've been making it for a long time to communicate that message of what we were speaking about in terms of like patterns of abuse within marginalized groups. Just like that's what I feel like the movie is about. So I will happily um, access real events and also change them and use comedy and use drama to make you empathize with a character or to make you change your perspective on a character or a story or to use it as misdirection to the actual narrative that's happening under the surface. Like those are all the things that I admired in pieces like The Sopranos and Mad Men. Those are things that that I find exciting and even something, you know, playing around with your perception of reality in the Drake piece, like that was to me, the excitement was like, can this create a feeling of like, what the fuck all when people watch it? Because that's, what's going to make it funny. I am here. I have made it. Ah, well, you're no longer in traffic. I am no longer in traffic. Jake, uh, that was awesome. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for reaching out to me. I really, really get to speak. And, and he, learn more about you. Yeah, yeah. Bye, man. Be good, right. buddy. You too. All right, take, take care. care. You're a jerk, Neil.